good to be in the house of God. I, you know, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, there's no better place for me to be is in the house of God. I hope you feel the same way. I mean, I, you just, uh, yeah, amen. You know, I don't know if it was because I was young and, and, you know, just full of energy, but I would come during the weekdays and just sit in the house of God and pray and seek him and, you know, and, and the world is calling you by name. Come out to this party. Come out to this event. Come out to that. I'm like, no, I just want to be in the house of God. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> so, but I just love being here this morning. I, I, you know, this, it's just when the divine God lives in you, the whole thing changes. You know, going to church makes sense. You know, before I was all into sports, you know, Sunday football games and basketball games, you know, but when I got born again, they just seemed, you know, they, they went dim in my mind. I still look at the scores, you know, uh, not, of, not as of late, but, you know, but, you know, but it just became dim. There was something so more important in my life. And so, you know, reading the Bible, oh, it became, it just opened up, you know, and, and then, you know, just the, the whole idea of giving money to the church, that made no sense to me at all, you know. No, but now the divine God is in you. Yeah, partnership with him. That makes total sense. And so things radically changed when I became born again. And, and things that I try to speak to a non-believer, and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. And so they did, it, but when God comes in, there's something special and so coming to church on Sunday morning, it's not a sacrifice, it's a great joy. Amen? Amen. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We, we completed chapter 2. And, uh, you know, chapter 3 is, is, wow, it's just filled with so much heartbreak and pain and sorrow. And, 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 but yet in the midst of it, there's joy to be found. And I'm reminded of a, a story that Pastor Joe shares, he shares about a, a teacher, a science teacher, uh, that was mocking the Christians, and he was saying, oh, you Christians, you believe that the serpents, you know, he, he spoke, he, he communicated with, you know, Eve, and, and, and you know, and so, oh, and he just was mocking, he was atheist, and, uh, and then he, you know, went off and started talking the immaculate birth, you guys believe in the virgin birth, and started going off on that, and and so the uh, students went and told the coach, who was the wrestling coach, and so the wrestling coach came back and, um, to the science teacher, and he says, hey, you realize you believe the same thing I do. And the science teacher is like, what? There's no way. We're, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big gulf in between our ideas. He goes, no, 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 listen to this. He says, you, you believe that we came out of you know, the chemicals, out of the goo, into a cell, and then from a cell to a fish, and then from a fish to a lizard, and now you're speaking. You know? <laughs> and so you believe in the immaculate birth? He says, because you believe that, 
one cell coming out of the, you know, the goo, out of the, it was funny, Rose tells me, Bon, I got your message uh, last, uh, uh, on Sunday, uh, about the word of God, but I didn't understand the goose, and I'm like, goose, goose, I don't think I said anything about goose on Sunday service, He's, I said, are you talking about the goo, from goo to the zoo to you, and she's like, oh, I thought you said goose, and I'm like, man, wow, how did that work out in your mind, you know, from the goose to you, to the, to the zoo to you, but anyway, the goo, like, you know, came a cell, and then from a cell, you, you, you know, they went on to be a human being, but then, you had to have the miracle of a female to produce a reproduction system that would give birth to children. That's the immaculate birth. And the science teacher's like, oh, man, you know, you, you got me, you know, because really that's what it is. It's, it, you know, and, and we actually have the best evidence because it tells us how it happened and how it came about. And so Genesis 3 is all about that. The, the whole serpent story. And so let's dive into it. We're going to begin in chapter 3. But let me give you a, a little introduction. Seven days of creation is completed. All is perfect. Oh my goodness. It's, it's just magnificent. The colors. Even in a fallen world that we live in, it's still beautiful. The flowers, the patterns. It's just, the glory of God is seen in unparalleled splendor majestic brightness and overall grandeur. Man has now a companion for himself, one after the likeness of God in so many ways, so much like him as well. A companion in whom he delights and with whom he now can share the beauty and brilliance of all that God has made. Indeed, you know, even in this state as it's winding down now, you know, it's magnificent. And when I travel around the world, you know, it's spectacular. We were in the foothills of the Himalayas making our way up to Mount Everest. We didn't get to go there, but we, you know, eventually we, you know, we said, nah, that, that isn't going to work. Let's just fly over it. You know? And so, but it was, it was the beauty of these majestic mountaintops and just, you know, the, the, the greenery and the snow capped mountains. It just, it just took you, it, it, and I can see why the, the gurus get all weird, because it does take you to a spiritual realm, but it's supposed to point you to God. You know? That's what the Bible says. All creation points you to God, the true and living God. And so it is magnificent. And uh, you know, I, I think of the jungles of India, going through these jungles, and it's just the 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 foliage and you know and the trails that are going between and you're like this is amazing until they tell you you know you've got to be careful there's tigers around here I'm like what you didn't tell me that that's not on the uh, you know the brochure you know <laughs> and so uh, you know one night I was it was so hot in our in our place a little cabin we were staying in probably about 110 and I said I'm going outside and they said no sir you cannot sleep outside and I said why not? And they said, the tiger, he will eat you. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to risk that today. You know, so I'm like, it was just so hot, but you know, just beautiful. The, the, the Tananika river, we were coming over on a, on a helicopter. We did an outreach to an unreached people group, uh, village there. And we were in between Congo and Tanzania and we were coming over and, and we thought this, this is so spectacular this river that's the second deepest river on planet earth and it's just the the volume of it just moving forward and we're just this is amazing how many of you have sat at a restaurant and overlooked the beautiful sunset on the pacific ocean 
And it, even in a fallen state, it's so magnificent, you know. And so there was a beautiful harmony in the world and peace between God and man. And the Lord was well pleased with Adam and Eve. And God loved them and they loved God. It was perfect up until chapter 2. We're not told how long they enjoyed this harmony. Chapter 3 really is the pivotal chapter in the scriptures. Through this chapter, we are able to answer the questions of life. Why is there evil in the world? Why do people die? Why is life so hard? Is there any hope? We learn the world that we occupy was not the way it was originally created. Indeed not. Today our world is a fallen world, separated from God the Creator. The only answer, and it's found also in chapter 3, for sin and death is God's gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And all that is in chapter 3. Let's begin. It says there in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat of the fruit uh, or eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's the issue here, that she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, to say the least. And they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves. By the way, the first act of religion, covering up their sins with fig leaves. Together, and, and they, they sewed these fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The blame game here. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and notice this, a real serpent, a real snake, because of the curse here, curse, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, of course, God is speaking to the real snake here, but now the one that's behind the snake, the one that has possessed the snake. Look at what he says in verse 15. And I will put enmity, war, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. It should be singular there, by the way. He will crush your head, he, speaking of Jesus, and you will strike his heel, the devil, will put him on the cross. And so we get this beautiful story of 
creation, but now we see the fall. And so let's pray, and then we'll just jump right into it. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us about your marvelous grace that we will see here this morning. We pray that you would speak to us about your truth that we may learn from the disobedience of man as, as well as the obedience later on. And Lord, may we learn about your precious word and how dear it is that we must hold on to it with all that we have, even in these times. Help us not to lean to the left or the right or to even trust our own, oh, our own understanding, but let us trust your word. Let us hear your voice this morning. Speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the storyline continues from chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, where it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so this command is laid out. It's the only command that's given to uh, Adam, and then Adam would pass it on to Eve. And so we are introduced here in chapter 3, right at the get-go, to a serpent. And it says there in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Do you, Did God really say you must eat from the, any tree in the garden? I, I Just questioning God's word right off the bat. Who is this serpent? Where did he come from? Why is the serpent communicating to Eve, and why is it so normal to her? <laughs> it's all questions. I hope that we can find some answers. But verse 14 tells us something about that serpent. It says this, and we read it earlier. The serpent is neither figurative description of Satan, nor is it Satan in the form of a serpent. The real serpent was an agent in Satan's hand. This is evident by the description of the reptile in verse 14. Again, let's read verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And so because we can see the snake crawling on its belly today, we know that it was a real snake. It, the curse and the judgment upon it is that it would crawl on its belly. So what did it do before that? Did it fly? That would be weird. We're already creeped out by them snakes, right? And so uh, Pastor Ross, he doesn't like snake stories. Snake stories. Snake stories. Uh, I shared about when I was in um, India and we were on a bus and I had uh, about 28 high schoolers uh, from a, a real, you know, high-end uh, high school there in, uh, in uh, you know, L.A., and so we brought him over, and, and I told my guy that was next to me, my Indian guy who was my partner, and I said, hey, you need to stand by the door of the bus so that nobody would enter the bus, and he said, Bon, no one's going to enter the bus, and all of a sudden the door opens up, and this guy comes in with a tortilla box, right, and I'm like, hey, get up there, and the guy pops up the lid, and this cobra comes out, and it's like, and he's like, Whoa! And, and you know, and it's right, it's like two feet off, and I'm like leaning on him, and he's leaning as far as he can on the window, and I'm like, 
get some rupees, give it to the guy, and get him out of here. You know, they just creep you out. And this cobra is all, you know, and he goes, You want to pet it? No, I don't want to pet it. I want to kick you out. You know, so, you know, get out. You know, and so this, this, so what did it do? Did it fly? Did it walk? We really don't know until we get to heaven and we'll know all things. But you know what is, I think, bothersome to me is that he's communicating to Eve. Verse, you know, the, the, you know, the New Testament tells us this, that it, not only was it a real snake, but it was a snake that allowed itself to be possessed by the devil. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says this, looking back, this is in the future, even from our time, it's in Revelation, but he looks back and tells about this serpent. Listen to what he says, that great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, there it is, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so Revelation chapter 12 tells us that it's twofold. It's a real snake, but it was possessed by the devil. How that works, I have no idea. I just know that today we know that uh, People can be possessed by the devil. We've seen it. We see it throughout the scriptures. Jesus believed it. Uh, Jesus spoke about it, and Jesus freed people from it. Uh, and so it does occur. And how, how did it happen with animals and all that? I, it just It's beyond my comprehension. And can that still happen? It doesn't say in the scriptures, but we know that it did. And so the judgment upon the, the serpent is evident by that you know, curse there that God places on him that he did something that he shouldn't have done. And so this serpent, you know, he's in heaven, but it says there, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10, it says there, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 186,000 miles per second, boom, you know. Um, in the previous verse in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it's in the future when, you know, he's no longer able to go and make accusations against us the book of Job shows that he has access only to where Jesus is, and he's communicating to Jesus about us every day. But that time is up. Three and a half years go by in that seven-year period, and the archangel Michael, finally, he's like, oh, thank you, man. And he puts his hand together, and he takes the angelic beings, and Lucifer throws them down to the earth, and then three and a half years later, they have a judgment placed on them. But so this devil, he's kicked out of heaven. But, you know, you know if, if he came from heaven, you know, we're, we're, you know, who is he? Was he a creative being or an angel? Well, this is the thing. Ezekiel 28 is, uh, and we're going to read verse 11 through 17, is, is Ezekiel speaking to the king of Tyre? And he's, and he's making judgment upon the king of Tyre. But now... He looks beyond the king of Tyre and begins to speak to the one who's controlling the nations. And he looks at the devil. Now listen to what it says here in verse 11. It says there that the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up Lamech concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were, in, you were a model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. By the way, that's not Tyra. <laughs> That's obvious, right? So this is now he's speaking to the devil. Listen, you were in Eden, the garden of God. So we, he's there. 
Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. This, this, he's spectacular. He's not wearing a red suit with a fork in his hand. No, he's coming as an angel of the light. And he, he comes in tricker, he, with trickery, putting doubt in God's word. It says, your, setting, your settings and your mountings were made of gold. And on the day you were created, oh, he was created. They were prepared. You were anointed as a garden cherubim. Oh, he's one of the angelic ranks. High indeed. And an angelic being. For so I ordain you, you were on the holy mounts of God. You walked among the fiery stones. What privilege this angel had. That he would be able to walk on the holy mount of God and walk among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherubim, from among the fiery stones. And so we know in heaven there's many rankings of angelic beings uh, you think of the four beasts that are there in the Revelation that are praising God and the, the millions and millions upon angels that are worshiping God. You have Michael, you have Gabriel, you have so many different high-ranking angelic beings. But this one here, Lucifer, was pretty spectacular, to say the least. Verse 17, you, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. Here it is. This is where he stumbles. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle, spectacle of you before the king. So we learned a lot about him. Angelic being, a created being. He's in no competition with God. Make that very clear in your thoughts. God wins. He's victorious. He's in control. And so Isaiah also says this in chapter 14, verse 12. Again, this is to the king of Babylon. But then he looks at the, um, the one that's controlling the king of Babylon. He says this, how... You have fallen from heaven, O morning star. By the way, that gets translated later on to light uh, bearer, light bringer. Uh, and so that's where you would get the, the bright morning star there. Uh, don't confuse that with the bright morning star, Jesus Christ, right? Context demands how you read it. So if you would read about the star or a star, that's Lucifer, but the star is Jesus Christ. And they're not related. They're not brothers. It's just the descriptive word that they're making here. So his name also is Lucifer here. Uh, Lucifer is, uh, you know, um, again, you know, when you, when you think of the Hebrew word for that, it's just shiny one, uh, the bright one. And so it says there that uh, Lucifer was self-deceived. God created him as a powerful and glorious angelic being. He, however, let, glory, let his glory of his creation deceive himself. Perhaps he surmised that God was just another being. He had to think in those terms because how would he, in his, in his, in his you know, thinking ability, his reasoning, think that he could overcome God? That's just, it's, he must have thought that he was just another being and happened to have authority over him. Maybe Lucifer reasoned with himself and later uh, the other angels that God was not really the creator, but took charge of creation. Whatever his reasoning, 
it was so powerful enough that one-third of the angels that was declared in Revelation 12 listened to him and rejected their creator. These angels became fallen angels. We know them as demons. And from Ezekiel, we learned that Lucifer was a covering cherubim uh, who even was in the garden before his fall. Later, his beauty and splendor caused him to uh, be corrupt in his wisdom. Uh, Satan might not have liked the idea of being a servant to Adam and Eve and their descendants. According to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 and verse 14, uh, the angels were ministers to us, to the heirs of salvation. Satan, along with the other angels who rebelled, could not accept a secondary role in the creation. So as a result, Satan had other plans. Now, uh, Ezekiel, I mean, Isaiah makes it very clear. Isaiah, uh, he says this in verse, uh, going back there to uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15. You said in your heart, in verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit and throne on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountains. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Do you see the I wills? Yeah, God didn't make them for him, his his own will. God made him to serve the people. And the devil, with his splendor and beauty and the wisdom, he corrupted that. And he took one third of the angels, and God said, you're not allowed in heaven. Tossed them down to here, to the earth. Now, mankind has a very free will choice to make with a tempter. And that's what you see here. The, the tempter is... is uh, you know, going back to Genesis 3, verse 4 through 6, it says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You know, the attack of the devil is on God's word. Did you notice that? Did God really say that you would die? No, he didn't mean that. And by the way, he, he just glosses over some of the truth and then he changes it very subtly. I mean, it's very subtle. You know, it just goes in there and changes it. And then he corrupts it. And of course, he gets you to doubt it and begins to contemplate in your mind. Yeah, yeah, God's not thinking of my best interest. Yeah, God just doesn't want me to become like him. You know, he doesn't want me to enjoy this earth as I ought to. And, you, and then you fall along that line and that, that reasoning there uh, begins to really corrupt your thinking. And then you give way. You have fallen into the pattern the devil uses all over the world and every day in our lives. He just, it's the same trick. It's, it's not, it's not a, a new trick. <laughs> he comes here, and he comes in, in a way just to attack the Word of God. And, and really, we are under attack when it comes to God's Word, right? God created the heavens and the earth. You have evolution. God created marriage in between a man and a woman. The Word of God is under attack severely in that area, right? It's no longer man and woman. It's you can marry an animal if you want. But, you know, there's, it's, it's horrible. You know, you're born male and female, right? Of course, we have, uh, you know, the genetic decay. So there's people that have, you know, uh, some issues there. But now they try to make it, a, they scope it for everybody. You know, they, they say everybody has a choice to be a male or a female. So wrong. 
X, you know, XX and YX, you know, and, and I, I just read on Fox last, last week that there was a, a science teacher that held on and said, we're going to believe science. And man, she got ripped apart. She was getting ripped apart. You don't understand our feelings. You don't have love and on and on and on, right? You, some of you know that because your children are doing strange things. <laughs> you don't love me for who I am, you know, and, and they, they just, they're just pounding at you. Listen to this. Listen, this is very important. If it's going against God's word, just know that the devil is using it. <laughs> And the devil can use your children. The devil can use anyone. He can use us against one another. He puts a thought in our mind and then we go at each other and we begin to tear down. And you've got to be careful. Screen everything through the word of God. Do not let the devil win in your mind. is the battle. And your children are being attacked severely. You know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's horrible. You know, do not get drunk, the scripture says. Oh, one little slip, one little sip. That's not going to bother me. Yeah, you should see how many counseling sessions we do with marriages that are being destroyed because of one little sip. Kids that watch their parents. What's wrong with that? My parents do it. Now they're intoxicated and they're in these AA meetings. and Oh, it's horrible. We have, definitely we have liberty. But be careful how you use your liberty. One little slip, sip. You know, the, the, the whole idea behind the drunkenness is being sober-minded. And that also covers the area of drugs, right? America has given you the freedom to use certain drugs for medication. Be careful. <laughs> be careful. It's sober-mindedness that God wants. We gotta be. We just gotta be careful. Don't be unequally yoked. You know, I, I have people always coming to me and, oh, you don't know. I love them. I, I don't doubt that, but you shouldn't have been there. Don't play with that. God says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be with a non-believer. As soon as I knew that they were a non-believer, I don't care how beautiful they were or how you know intelligent and just. When in my heart, I separated that right there. Boom, we're done. I'm going to be your friend, and that's all. It's not going to cross over. Because I'm going to listen to God's word. I made a distinction long ago. It's God or nothing. What do you say? <laughs> the devil used the same tactics on Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus defeated the devil by quoting, It is written over and over again. It is uh, written. Temptation is not a sin. Just know that. If you're tempted, it, it's not a sin. But they are real and strong. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he writes this little book called Temptation. He describes how the temptation works. Listen to this. It's, he's an old guy, so he writes kind of funny. <laughs> With iris... <laughs> Irresistible, uh, irresistible power desires seizes mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love or fame of power or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. 
At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creation or creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, no. But with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus arouses and envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The power of clear discrimination and of decisions are taken from us. The question presents themselves is what the flesh desire really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, expected of me? Now, here in the particular situation to appease the desire, it is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. <laughs> Temptation. It's powerful. And it's a tool that God uses to doubt his word. You have to cling to his word and say, I'm not going down that path. For it is written. And so everything in Eve rose up against the word of God. Eve failed miserably. The devil tricked her. Yet her husband had the greater culpability because God's word had been given directly to him. Even before Eve had been created, Adam not taking up his God-given responsibility to lead and protect his wife now breaks God's command willfully. 1 Timothy 2.14 says this, And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became the sinner. Listen, Adam did not, he, did not, he was not tricked into eating the fruit. He did it willfully. That is so scary because of the thought of everything was given to man before the woman was created. The command, the name of the creation, everything was given to man. The responsibility falls upon him. And he sees his wife who has eaten the fruit and then she just hands it to him and he says, I'm going down the ship with you. And he takes and eats. And what he has done is that he has taken on a new image. He's taken on no longer under the image of God the Father in pure and holiness, but now he places himself under the headship of the devil. And now because of that, there's a sin nature, there's a virus if you will, if you're thinking of computer terms, there's a virus that's been installed in humanity. And that sin nature now will cause you to sin. It's just a matter of time. You're born into it. And it's just a matter of time when you're going to break one of the moral laws. And because of that, God has condemned all those that sin against the word to die. Listen, it, it, you know, when, when you think about what has happened, uh, you know, the overall picture is this, is that Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. It all belongs to him originally. He gives it to man. Man fails and then gives it to the devil. Now, it's interesting that because Jesus is the original owner, it's as if the devil now, or the man and the devil, were just leasers. And so that's why the devil can't have full authority over you because he has to go through the original owner, God. But now how does it become back to the original owner? Well, you know the story of the book of Ruth, that lovely love story 
that everybody, everybody loves a love story. And Ruth, you know, with Boaz coming to the scene and, and rescuing, uh, you know, Naomi's property as the kinsman redeemer. You know, uh, Leviticus chapter 24, uh, 47 through 55 talks about the kinsman redeemer when someone owns the land and, you know, because of, uh, because of finances or famine, they sell themselves to a different owner. There's a different owner. But the closest relative has the ability to buy back the property and take back the possession into the original owner. And so that's what Boaz does. Boaz goes to uh, the, the leaser and he says, I want to buy the land back. And so that's what he ends up doing. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's the closest relative. You remember the story, right? There was a closer relative and Boaz comes up to the relative and he says, oh, by the way, the land is available. Do you want to buy it? And he says, oh, yes, I want to buy it. Who wouldn't want more property? And Boaz says, oh, by the way, because Ruth didn't have any children from the original owners, you would have to have children with her. And he's like, I can't do that. My wife would kill me. He didn't say that, but that's, that's what's going on there. And he's like, I can't buy it. And Boaz says, okay, I'll be the man of God and I'll buy it. And he's like, yeah, because he loves Ruth. Just adores her. And he buys the property and puts it back into the original hands. Who's the closest relative that's living to Adam? Jesus. Jesus made him. Jesus came to the earth, paid for him, defeated death, rose, and he's the closest relative to Adam. Who gets to purchase the land back? Jesus. And he has. So that's what's being laid out here. But at a season here, before Jesus purchased it, it belongs to Satan. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, the devil uh, led up to the high place and showed Jesus in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. When was that given to him? At the fall. The fall. When Satan obeyed his words and gave in to sin. And he says, I can give it to anyone I want, Satan saying this. So if you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Wow. Quoting three different times the word of God to Satan's temptations. I love that. Think about this because it's pretty profound. Nobody's there in the wilderness except for Jesus and the devil. So Jesus has to record this story verbally to the disciples and then they write it down. And why does Jesus do that? Jesus does that so that he would show us how to fight the devil. It is written. The word of God says it. I'm not going to do it. Again, it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers believers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he is the ruler of this earth until Jesus went to the cross. And when Jesus defeated him on the cross, it goes back to the original owners. Now the original owner is coming back for his land. That's the second coming. And that's a glorious story. Adam and Eve, existent, was now one of death. 
And as a result of this, sin instantaneously penetrated every aspect of their being. Both Adam and Eve were at once utterly sinful and completely depraved. And where once both Adam and Eve freely can commune with God in the garden in the cool of the day, sin disrupts the harmony between man and God, and Adam and Eve go into hiding. Dr. Henry Morris, he writes this regarding sin and the effects upon it. He says this, that thus the entire creature or creation was made subject to vanity. Romans 8.20 says that. The earth began to wax old like a garment. Psalms 102.26 says that. And ultimately shall perish. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 11. Since all flesh is made of earth's physical elements, it is also subject to the law of decay and death. It is a universal experience that all things, living and non-living, eventually wear out, run down, grow old, decay, and pass, out, pass on to the dust. This condition is so universal that it's formalized about 100 years ago into a fundamental scientific law now called the second law of therodynamics. This law states that all things tend to become degraded and disordered. This, then, is the true origin of strange law of disorder and decay, um, the universally applicable, all-important second law of therodynamics. Herein is the secret of all that's wrong with the world. Man sinned and has sinned and has brought God's curse on the earth. That's Morris, uh, Henry Morris, if you like to read his books. I love it. And so... In verse 7 of Genesis 3, it says this, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Whether they wanted to admit their sin or not, Adam and Eve's rebellion came with a great, consequence. They lost their capability or capacity to rightly enjoy God's good gift. Perfect Perfection was replaced with pain. A joyful marriage became an unequal partnership. Happy cultivation became sweaty toil. The beautiful garden became a briar patch. Once imperishable bodies began slowly to decay and die. And they were thrust out of the garden home forever. Bodies began slowly to decay and die. Everything that was once so good was turned on its head. And as we read on in this book of Genesis, we find that murder, rape, disease, drunkenness, and death were further results of sin of Adam and Eve. And the world in which we live today is mixed up and messy because of their original sin. Isn't it true? We look around today and we ask ourselves, how long can we live like this? The, the corruption that's going on, the, the just, you know, we, we have to be careful where we park our cars now and get out because someone wants to rob us. Really? You know, and I'm like, it's just chaotic. It's a chaotic scene here in America right now as well. It's like that all over the world, but here in America, it's, it's becoming like that. It's so chaotic how if there's not that, in, that Christianity, that, that born again, you know, pushback of truth and pushback of what is right and uh, truth, you know, it begins, becomes to decay. 
The curse of Adam and Eve affected everything about them, including their nature. All that God made, including Adam and Eve, was good. But now these two human beings become enslaved to sinful cravings. And like others' effects of the curse, this sinful nature has been inherited by, all, uh, by us all. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's been applied to every one of us. Adam and Eve were the headship. What they have done affects you and I. So we're born with rebellion. And so verse 9, chapter 3 says this, But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? I love that. Where are you? We all have a where are you experience. He answered, and I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. There are many problems with sin, but one effect is we find ourselves running from God and hiding from God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 11 says this. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And all have turned away. They have all together become worthless, and there is no one who does good, not even one. That's where mankind is now. It's a sad state to say the least, but I can see it. On the other side of Calvary, I can see it now, how clear it was for me as I ran away from God and waved my fist at him and said, I don't need you. And in some sense, hid myself from him. And anybody that tried to share, I was, didn't want any part of that. And it's true, the sin nature has come about. It's in our very soul there, who we are. It's a virus. It's taken over. We wave our fist at God. But the most beautiful part of this scripture, it's twofold. There's, there's the one where he says, the, the, the beautiful picture of Jesus coming for us, that there's a war that will break out before, between the woman and the serpent, the woman's seed and the serpent, the devil, speaking of Jesus. But here, in our text this morning, when God says, where are you? It is profound because judgment should have arisen. Judgment should have been quick. But it's the first missionary act of a pure, holy God looking for a lost man. God begins in many ways, uh, I'm sorry, God begins to make a way for us. The question, where are you, is a rhetorical and is designed to prompt Adam to consider his wrongdoing. There will be no possibility for reconciliation if the guilty are unwilling to confess their deeds. Where are you? That was the words that I heard when I gave my life to Jesus. Where are you, Bond? Put your name in Adam's place. Where are you? I think even in our Christian life, God asks that. Where are you? So convicted when I read the gospel and it says, wouldn't you not even pray one hour with me? I think of all the things that we have to do in serving God, even in this church, and sometimes God says, where are you, Pastor Bond? Where are you? You know, and, and, and I think even as Christians, 
God calls us like that. Where are you? Where are you? We need help in the children's ministry. We need help in the ushers. We need help in, you know, setting up chairs, cleaning the place. We, we need help in, you know, praying, prayer warriors. We can't do the work unless we're praying. There's so much. Where are you? We get caught up with life and we get caught up with, you know, just just the cares of this world that we become useless to the kingdom of God. And we need to hear those words, where are you? Get back on track and say, what can I do? How can I be used by you? I think that's so needed. You know, we need that wake up call. I need it all the time. Where are you? But this here is for the lost, those who haven't gave their life to Jesus. Where are you this morning? Those are the words that have echoed throughout generations since the fall. The great love of God, the shepherd going after the sheep, the one lost. He's going after you. It's not coincidence that you're here this morning. If your wife brought you, your husband brought you, you're a child of one of the parents, it's not by accident. It's God saying, where are you? And will you hear his voice this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and let's just give a, a little moment and ask and reply to God, our answer. As he cries out, where are you? What do we say? <laughs> I'm here, Lord. Speak to me. Draw me near to you. Help me not to be corrupted by this world and the philosophies of this world. Help me to be selfless and not selfish. Help me to be other-centered and not self-centered. Give me opportunities to serve you, Lord, that we might glorify you. And, and I pray right now, Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know you, that right now you would speak to them, Lord, and that you would draw them to you. Have your way this morning, Jesus. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.